the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. We're back. The FSS Plus Podcast. Jason Churchill, Joe Doyle, Casey Bellin behind the glass. And we have news to discuss since we last uh, got together, gentlemen. Uh, Major League Baseball decided to wake the hell up. And, and it's absolutely happened. We have a big free agent signing. We have a, a couple of small deals, a couple of trades, uh, some things to uh, to discuss. But uh, I'm, 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 I want to talk about the holidays really quick with the two of you, if I could. Uh, before we went live here, I told you how much of a non-fan I am of Thanksgiving. And and I actually feel the same way about Christmas. But I'm I'm curious just to uh because uh Joe, I believe you said the food is overrated. Am I am I correct? And you said Thanksgiving food is overrated. Is that your feeling about the holiday that, that's upon us here this week? I think I think the food that gets all the headlines is overrated. The sides though Let's talk about three sides. Let's okay, so basically, it's not you're not as big of a turkey fan. You're not as big of like a masculine gravy to fan, right? The future stuffing series plus podcast. Uh, <laughs> so three things: right, right. baked mac and cheese, okay. change your life. Uh, okay. Garlic mashed potatoes, change okay. your life. Okay. Third, and I don't know how many both, people have actually. Both had those these, things would change my life because they both kill me. So you're absolutely one hundred percent. That's correct. right. That's right. Uh, third, popovers. I don't know if you guys have ever had popovers, but they are. What, is that? what exactly is that? What exactly are we talking so about? So popover, here? it's it's like a it's like a biscuit. It's a really buttery biscuit, and it's made in like a cupcake tin, super airy, okay. and just they are they are killer. They are to die. So there's it. nothing in. Yeah, there's there's not like it's not like a scone where there's like jam inside or anything. No, no there's some okay. herbs and some butter, but it's just it's okay. it's That's mostly right. like a. Like a like starchy a, like, biscuit. Like a savory treat. For the okay. record, I just Googled popovers. And <laughs> Google's Google's feature picture features jelly. So just throwing that out there. Oh, I've so never had it with jelly. I, so maybe you can do yeah. that. With, okay. Okay. But that's like, just give me a scone, then, right? Like, like, I don't know, Joe. Like, we live in the same area. The fair every year has the scones. And you used to have to go into the fair to get the scones. Now you don't even have to go into the fair or wait until the fair happens in September to get the scones. Like these days for Churchill, it's the only reason to drive into that hellhole that is Puyallup, Washington. I got to be honest with you. (laughs) Hey, man, I grew up pretty close to Puyallup. (laughs) So Um, did I. So did I. But I I will say this might make me like this make me look like a little swamp gremlin, but I prefer a an elephant ear over a scone if i'm going into the Both fair and I'm getting I get it. different category but i've always thought I, scones I were kind of dry without no something. dude no 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 so you're doing it wrong i'll teach you one of these days yeah for a small fee all right let's talk some baseball um the the biggest the first big signing of the offseason has occurred it's aaron nola back to the phillies while that is kind of boring casey and i were talking a little earlier in the day how that doesn't really like who cares, right? It's that makes it the same Phillies rotation essentially. And that part of it isn't really all that interesting, but I think what else the Phillies might do on top of bringing back uh, what is essentially their number two starting pitcher. And especially for me, Joe, what, what does, what does this signing of seven years and $172 million do? And what does it mean for the rest of the pitching market, because I saw a lot of projections for for the top free agent, for the top twenty five or the top fifty in terms of you know years and dollars, and I didn't see anybody you know go as aggressive as seven and one seventy two on Aaron Nola. So what does that tell you? For we'll leave we'll leave the imports out of this for now. But what does that tell you about the market for a Blake Snell, a Sonny Gray, uh, a Jordan Montgomery, and guys like that? I don't know if it tells you that much. I mean, I kind of took it as the 
the Philadelphia Phillies trying to get ahead of the market a little bit. I, I think maybe they recognize that, you know, maybe they were on the outside looking in on a guy like a, like a Yamamoto and decided to kind of go after and snatch up a known commodity, a, a guy that they can trust. My fear is, you know, he's coming off of a more of a down year and Philadelphia elected to, to um, keep him through his age 37 season. Um, I think a lot of people expected five or six years there. So, you know, I think the case can be made that you, you got to tack a year on to to some of the other guys in the market. I, I think it's going to be a pretty pretty competitive market. But if I'm being honest, Jason, and maybe this is kind of pulling away from your narrative, I actually thought the Cardinals going out and landing Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn and kind of not squashing their need for innings, but at least muting it a little bit. Mm. I thought that was kind of the more interesting story like people aren't going to be able to play off of the cardinals in trade talks and 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 contract negotiations as they once were so um i think nola probably has the has the chance to add a year on to some of the better arms on the market like a, like a sunny gray might be in line for a, uh, for a fifth year now but um yeah i i don't know we'll we'll have to see what happens it definitely got a little bit more expensive nothing got cheaper that's for sure that mm, is for sure. Uh, when I look at that Cardinals uh, rotation, by the way, I still see uh, problems galore. Um, have you seen, like well, I've seen a couple good. of, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not good. And while, while you probably brought up the floor, you did very little for your ceiling. You're like Miles uh, Mikolas and Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn and a bunch of questions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is Zach Thomas part of your rotation? Is Steven Matz part of your rotation again? Um, what, what else? What else are you going to do? So, I, I think for anything like mid rotation on back, I think the Cardinals are probably out. So I think you're probably right in that way. But uh, if if you're the Cardinals and 2024 means anything to you, I, I still think you have to be in the market for the the Grays and the Montgomerys and 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 maybe trading for Corbin Burns or trading for Dylan Cease because otherwise that's a non competitive rotation again. At the end of the day, it might be better, but we're talking about what a team that won 75 games last year. I mean, so maybe they win 80 instead. That doesn't move the needle for me. You know, if I'm a Cardinals fan, uh, I'm still looking for more from the rotation. But from the Phillies standpoint, it is kind of boring because, um, you know, hey, we've seen this. But from what it sounds like, Joe, the Phillies aren't stopping here. Like, they're not done. They're not satisfied with being the World Series representative two years ago. Getting to the NLCS this year, they have Bryce Harper. Um, They're going to let Reese Hoskins walk. Uh, they brought in Trey Turner last year. They have Zach Wheeler and, and Nola back at the top of the rotation. Uh, it, it certainly sounds like if you believe the buzz uh, inside and, and and outside, it certainly sounds like they're going to continue to uh, to try to add some impact to uh, to that roster. And while you know something that you brought up, how willing are they, you know, to go over the uh, the next uh, level of luxury tax? But to me, it sounds like they don't really care about that right now, which is really, really interesting. Is there a big move out there? If you were to ignore that luxury tax issue with the Phillies, you could see them going and and making like, are they going to do another arm or are we talking about Josh Hader here to, for the back of that bullpen? Are we talking something along the lines of a position player too? Yeah, I think that's going to be a good question. Um, yeah, the key number, 277 million. Like that's that's the number when all of a sudden you are pushing your draft pick back 10 spots. You are really, really upping the Middleton surcharge and, and things get really quite expensive for that ownership group pretty quickly. Um, listen, I, I think the Phillies have always kind of from the outside looked like a team, operated like a team that probably should be in that same you know, New York Yankees, New York Met, like they've, they've always kind of had that expensive allure, at least for the last, you know, four or five years with the way that they've brought in really significant talent. Um, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if they surpassed 277 million and um, started, you know, costing ownership more money and costing the team uh, draft selection slots. But, uh, you know, we'll see like i don't know if it's on the pitching side i think the bullpen could certainly use another arm i think there's certainly a potential landing spot for josh Hader. you mentioned this before the show got going and i think there's probably only like maybe three teams i mean maybe four teams that make sense for a mike trout type of an acquisition Mm. i think philly is certainly in that conversation and not because they have money certainly that plays a part in it but um brandon marsh 
started like a bat out of hell last year, was really good the first five or six weeks, and then he was largely non-impactful the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah. So that's a pretty demanding center field to play, but I think if there was a team that had a a guy like a – I don't know what the prospect package package would go back. Uh, The Phillies are really, really top-heavy in their farm system, but – you know, if the if the Angels could get an Andrew Painter who's coming off of Tommy John surgery and um, they wanted to pay down some of that salary and and, and maybe bring back a Brandon Marsh, um, it's a really interesting construct. You know, maybe not for this particular episode, but I, it, we probably should spend an episode this winter, maybe next week, talking about how you might handle a Mike Trout trade from the Angels standpoint because we're going the, the contract is a, is a significant part of this particularly with Trout starting to age a little bit starting to miss time with injury because there are two ways to go about it do we dump salary or do we get back something in return do we find some sort of a happy medium and I'm telling you right now I don't want to go too deep into this but I if I'm the Angels I'm like however I can get the most back in return that's good for my, if I can get Andrew Painter by paying down a hundred million dollars, like, you know, theoretically speaking, then I guess that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay more to get more in return. If I'm the angels, uh, situations like that, I'm sure, you know, he's, he's got the no trade power as well. Uh, Philly, obviously a team, you know, he's interested in Philly. He's from the area, uh, Jersey, particularly it'd become really interesting. If that started, I know the buzz is out there that maybe they would try to get trout, but, I think the Dodgers would try to get Trout as well, um, which is weird because they already have Betts and Freeman and some older guys there. But uh, the Phillies, I, the the bullpen, yes, maybe they're done in the rotation. Uh, they spent a lot of money there with Taiwan Walker and Matt Strom, uh, and now Nola back with uh, with Zach Wheeler. They seem to be okay there with a couple of guys that may be able to help them in the next year or two from their farm system. They need something else. You look at that outfield right now. <laughs> they need something else in that outfield, something of impact in that outfield. Um, it, you know, it's Brandon Marsh and and Connor Brogdon and 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 uh, with Bryce Harper to play first base now, either exclusively or mostly. Th- there's room there. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, obviously, you can throw him in left field a little bit. Uh, DH is probably a better spot for him. But it sounds like the outfield. If you're the Phillies and you're looking for help, it sounds like the outfield. Let me throw another name at you, Joe. I don't know that this that this player's team is going to make him available, but if they do, Luis Robert Jr. fits really, really well in Philadelphia, just from a player to a team standpoint. I like that idea a lot. I, I just my my issue with the Phillies, like I said, is their their farm system is so top heavy. I mean, it's Mick Abel, it's Andrew Painter, and then it, there's a pretty significant drop off as you as you get past the top three, four prospects in that in that system. So. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people have long theorized that Alec Bohm could be a guy that's potentially moved as an interesting piece for another for another organization. I think Brandon Marsh is a guy that's interesting to a lot of other organizations. I think you could probably move a guy like Bryson Stott if it was interesting to another organization, if it was a one to one type sure. of move. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's going to have to be a big league talent for big league talent type of move. And I, I think the Phillies have a lot of good things going on over there. My issue with the Phillies roster is it's kind of, and this was the issue going into the playoffs for me. And, you know, they, they've overachieved the last couple of years, but they don't have a lot of dynamic talent in that roster. Schwarber is station to station. Castellanos Mm -hmm. station to station. Bryce Harper station to station. JT Realmuto for everything that he has done over the last seven or eight years. And he has been incredible for the position. He's going to slow down. He's not going to be able to run. Um, so I think they could use a, you know, a guy that can bat lead off or a guy that can really run. Maybe that's a Mike Trout. I, I don't know, uh, but they do have to get a little bit more athletic in the outfield and they need to get a little bit more athletic at the top of their lineup. And I, I think there's a number of different ways to do that. Luis Robert would certainly, certainly be a way of achieving that. Yeah. Uh, depending on who you look at, um, the Phillies do have four of the top hundred ish prospects in the game again depending on who you trust um after a reassessment this winter we'll see where you put them joe uh those guys but uh crawford justin crawford's a really interesting guy from their farm system as well and if if you're trading with a team and maybe the white Sox would be this team if you're trading with a team who's got a couple of years a guy like crawford is going to make a lot of sense as a secondary or tertiary piece 
to uh to to a big trade like that. So I don't know. I I just that would be really interesting for Philadelphia. And I think Luis Robert could fit in a lot of places. He doesn't come without risk, but he did just play 145 games and put up some pretty big numbers. So I thought that'd be a really interesting thing for uh for Philly fans to potentially think about. I also think Cody Bellinger fits there, man. I, I thought that that would be a really interesting if, if they're going to continue to spend and spend big Cody Bellinger with Bryce Harper and Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber. And we have to consider the idea that maybe they move a, a Schwarber or a Castellanos uh, and replace them with a little bit more of an athletic player uh, as well. Neither of those guys really belong uh, playing in the outfield. So they're kind of stuck. And they used to have Reese Hoskins in that lineup as well. So that, that was <laughs> a bunch, a bunch of uh, 40 grade at best corner outfielders that belonged at first base or DH and only three spots to play those four guys in. So uh, that was a Wasn't Darren Ruff there for a bit too. Might have he was, been dead, in, but I think Darren Ruff was. Yeah, a he was early on in that. I'm not sure if he and Castellanos overlapped, but yeah, so they've had this issue for, for uh, a little while. The Phillies really interesting. Um, they play in a pretty competitive di- division with, uh, with the Mets who are definitely going to spend. And of course the Braves who continue to uh, boast the best roster, I think in baseball, um, interesting. See what the uh, the Phillies do moving on. I actually do think getting back to the the Nola impact on the uh, on the market. I do think it will impact the numbers a little bit. And there's never a way to like prove this, but uh, nobody thought Blake Snell was getting 170 million dollars. And I think there might be a team out there willing to give him 170 million dollars. He did have a significantly better year than Aaron Nola did. He comes with more risk though, so. Maybe he gets 170 mil for seven years, or maybe he just gets a better AAV on a six-year deal or something along those lines. I don't know. They're about the same age, give or take six months or so. Uh, but I'm really curious to see, Joe, what the market for Blake Snell you know, ends up looking like because that, that 13% walk rate scares me. And the fact that he's essentially sandwiched a bunch of you know uh, uh, mediocre years, relatively speaking, uh, between two Cy Young wins. And I just don't know what I'm going to get in 2024 or 2025. If you're a club that doesn't have the dollars to kind of throw and not really worry about, hey, if I pay a guy 25 mil and he only gives me two and a half wins a year for six years, that's okay. Other than those clubs, and there's very few of them, maybe the Mets, maybe the Dodgers, maybe the Yankees, Red Sox can ultimately fall into that mix. Where are you with Blake Snell's market? Like how how willing are you to go 25 mil and, and six plus years on a guy like Snell? Yeah, you and I talked about this a little bit on the Cy Young conversation last week. And mm-hmm. I made the I made the argument that I, I thought that Aaron Nola was gonna get more money than Blake Snell. I, I don't that hasn't really changed. Listen, um sure. Aaron Nola has been one of the steadiest high twos and flirting with a low one for six, seven years. He's been steady Eddie. Um he's been durable, he's posted up, he's made his starts. The same cannot be said for Blake Snell. He's missed a lot of time. He doesn't pitch a lot of innings. Yes, 2018, 2023, fantastic years. But I still have a hard time getting around the idea that Blake Snell is going to get more than 125, 130 million. Now, I mean, is it possible that he gets five years and like 28 million a year? Yeah. Mm. What did that take him to? About 140, 145 mil, 140 mil. Um, I think 140 is kind of the cap. Like I would be really stunned if someone wanted to throw as much risk six years uh, at Blake Snell as, you know, as, as what you're, as what you're suggesting. Yeah. Six and 25 gets you a, a buck 50. If you're Blake Snell, I think he's probably I getting it. I, I do. I think somebody's got, I'm not sure I would, depending on the team. If, you, if you're throwing me in as running a specific team, it's going to be very team specific. I could see it. I could see a team doing that. I mean, to be honest with you, seven and 172 for Aaron Nola is ridiculous. Like, I get it. He's reliable, but we don't know what Aaron Nola is going to look like at 35, 36, and 37 years old. And Philly is going to find out. <laughs> they have committed to finding out. And, and I just don't love that. But again, if they're just willing yeah. to house it and you're just willing to be like, well, he's going to give us four wins a year for three years and we'll just take the six total wins he gives us the final, you know, uh, three years of a deal like that. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. The Blake, Blake Snell market was always going to be. Yeah, he only needs to find one team, right? Like that's that's kind of, I always come back to that. Like I don't think they're going to be multiple teams willing to go 150 plus on it, but it only takes one. Uh, I'm betting that's just going to be at least one. Uh, Sonny Gray, you mentioned maybe he can inch his way toward uh, toward a fifth year. Uh, I'm really curious, Joe, to see where just really quick, and we'll move on. 
Jordan Montgomery is that other R. I think Jordan Montgomery and Eduardo Rodriguez are very similar performers. Montgomery probably earned himself a little bit of money pitching really well down the stretch for the Rangers and then pitching well in the postseason. Uh, I think those things are garbage. Uh, I would never pay a guy based on his postseason performance. Uh, it's such a small sample. Uh, it's akin to me uh, letting a guy make the team out of spring training because of his spring training uh, performance. It makes no sense. But I think Montgomery did earn himself some money pitching well late and uh, uh, and into October for the World Series champion Texas Rangers. But uh, I'm curious to see what Montgomery and Eduardo Rodriguez could do. I think Rod- Rodriguez kind of paints himself into a corner I think the world knows he wants to play in places like Baltimore or Boston or Philly or New York or Detroit. He wants to stay in that, in that area. I wonder though, if he'd stretch as far as Chicago because the Cubs are going to be out there looking for pitching with Marcus Stroman out there on the market. Uh, They need somebody to pair with Justin Steele, but Jordan Montgomery to me is the interesting one, Joe. Do you go five years or more on a guy like that? You know, 30 years old, uh, I, I would categorize him as a, as a good number three and nothing more. I don't see number one starter here at all. I really don't see number two. Uh, he's not a guy that misses a ton of bats. Um, he's just he, he's kind of like the left-handed version of Aaron Nola with fewer strikeouts. I, I don't see a guy here who you know warrants at least the last couple of years looking at his performance, $150 million. I'm not sure he doesn't get it, but I certainly wouldn't want to be the team that does, Joe. What would you give Jordan Montgomery? So same age as Aaron Nola. They're both. Tell me I what think Nola is actually. Oh man, um, let's go with the Cubs. Uh, you know the Cubs. Th- that was a good example. Yeah, I, I think I would. Uh, I I don't maybe give him. Well, what's the what, uh, what's the contract for Montgomery? Yeah, I, I think if I'm if I'm a team like the Cubs who can spend money, but I'm trying to be smart about it too. I don't know, five and one ten. That that's probably my, that my was limit the on a guy like Montgomery. Exact, exact <laughs> contract. I was gonna say. I'm not even it, to the dollar. It's very similar to the a year for five deal from a couple of years ago when the market was down. Remember, that was the first year after that season was the first year that teams were starting to climb back into spending a little bit. So the market was down. It was Gossman and Robbie Ray essentially getting the same deal right around five and one ten, right? And I think now that the market is up that kind of a deal fits a guy that's a notch, notch and a half below what, uh, what Gossman and Robbie Ray were at least at the time that they, uh, that they signed, you know, you don't get a lot of guys throwing 200 innings these days, but I still look at guys who've only thrown 180 innings in a season once as risky guys. All of a sudden, if you're going to pay 20 plus million dollars for a guy like Jordan Montgomery, you're going to want him to go 32 starts and 180 to, to 190 innings minimum. And we just yeah. don't know how they're going to react to that. And I just think from a performance standpoint, he's a guy that belongs in the middle of a rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if a team gave him more because, again, we look at last winter, the NOLA deal was probably $20 million more than I thought he was going to get or that that he should get. Um, yeah, 5-110. and 110. If I'm the Cubs, I go 5-110, and 110, but I don't think that's enough to do it. I think Texas would be willing to give him more to go back there. So, But I'm really curious to see who else engages in the Jordan Montgomery market uh, if it gets beyond five years, because uh, again, we're talking about a guy who's uh, he's going to be 31 years old a couple of days after Christmas. And from a wins above yeah. replacement standpoint, he just put up a four win season. It's the first time he's ever done that. And he's only had one other season where he was a three win guy. So he's a little bit more like Blake Snell, but without the electric, you know, production. So Snell should get for me, Snell should get more on the AAV and probably at least just as many years as uh, as Montgomery for me Montgomery's more like he's not exactly he's more like a Taiwan Walker or Jameson Taillon than he is uh, an Aaron Nola for example um you have to miss bats in this day and age and, and while Montgomery does that a little bit um not to he the extreme more, so would... he did it more in Texas I think because Nola got seven Jordan Montgomery is the exact profile that I could see now getting six I wouldn't mm-hmm. do it personally yeah but he does kind of look like a guy who's going to hold up over time even though he hasn't been a workhorse um yeah everything is pretty easy everything comes out pretty clean um do i think he could get six and 115 you know 19 and a half million or whatever that rounds out to yeah mm-hmm. I, I mean i think a team would pay him through his age 36 season but nola getting that age 37 really surprised me and i think he could break down i, I think the last two years of the Aaron nola deal could be pretty rough. And that's another thing with, with the last two off seasons, like the back end of some of these deals, Jason are going to be 
atrocious. I mean that yeah. that Xander Bogarts deal, and this is totally out of left field. That Xander Bogarts deal is going to be, it's going to be bad for seven years. I think. Um, yeah, it could. It really could, dude. It could. Uh, he took Chris a little Ryan bit of dip looking, in offensive production already he, after a year of his power going down his final year in Boston. So, yeah. Uh, it, Jordan Montgomery, like, he performed really well for Texas. He had a good year last year. Um, he was good early in the year with uh, with St. Louis. He was even better down the stretch with Texas. But when you're looking at, like, like the swing and miss, which is the thing that's missing compared to some of the other guys on the market – his strikeout rate actually went down with Texas versus his time in St. Louis. His ground ball rate went significantly down. So there are some things that suggest he overperformed in Texas and just found nice grooves. Can a guy do that for a whole season? I don't know. We're about to find out, and somebody is, is probably going to bet on it. But uh, I see Montgomery as a three. And yeah, 20 million, five and five and 21, five and 22 is about the furthest I would go. But it really depend on, you know, what team I am. If I'm the Yankees, by the way, I'm all over trying to get Jordan Montgomery back. I know he can pitch in my ballpark. He's familiar with it there. I need stability as much as anything in New York behind Garrett Cole. Forget Blake Snell. I'm going for guys that give me 30-32 starts, and 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 maybe the Yankees are a team that gives uh, Montgomery that extra couple of million dollars and pushes him over $20 million in AAV because, man, they – they need exactly that, and it's hilarious. They traded him. Was it straight up, by the way, Joe? When they traded Jordan Montgomery, was it straight up for Harrison Bader? Dude, you and I podcasted together <laughs> that day. We did. We podcasted together that day, and we were like, man, for a team that never has the innings, they the, the Yankees never have the innings, they trade a high four with control for a center fielder who can't hit, and it just stayed that way. Like Jordan Montgomery continued to get better. Harrison Bader was hurt. He didn't hit at all. And now um, he's a free agent. <laughs> yeah, it free was, agent. no, it was an awful, it was an awful, awful trade. And it happened at the, you know, with 15 seconds to spare in that trade right. deadline. It was on trade deadline day. It was August 2nd that year in 2022. And it was straight up, by the way. I just double checked. It was uh, Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery. It was just one of the weirdest. I still can't make sense of it. They still uh, can't find strings in New York. <laughs> and, that, and that's why I Bader. go right back to Jordan Montgomery and say, hmm, what's it going to take? And I might be willing to overpay for him a little bit because I know he's not going to be spooked by pitching in that ballpark. And I know he's not going to be spooked by pitching in New York in particular and dealing with the media and the pressure and all that. I got to take the risk away if I'm uh, Brian Cashman in New York because my job has to be on the line. Um uh, yeah, the pitching market. We've seen one domino fall. Uh, we'll see who's uh, we'll see who's next. Um, guys, we talked. I think last week or the week before. I don't know. I barely know what date is. It could have been two months ago, for all I know. But right here on this show, we talked about maybe the sh- the Shohei Otani sweepstakes holding up the market a little bit. Like maybe some teams waiting around to see what Otani was going to do before they did certain other things. Not everything, but certain other things, like certain parts of the market. Like, does Cody Bellinger's market get held up because teams are out there trying to get Otani, especially the bat portion? But I've been thinking about this. I think there's another player out there, likely changing teams this winter, that holds it up more than Otani. And I think that guy is Juan Soto. And the reason I think that is because while the Padres were looking to cut back on payroll, all they would have to do is move Juan Soto's deal, let Josh Hader walk, and they'd be at about where they wanted to be, and it might actually give them room and space to go add a player. That's a $33 million projected deal. I think as soon as Soto moves and the Padres can jump into those other markets, whether they get into the heavy stuff with you know, the Montgomery's and the, and the Blake Snell's and even, even Yamamoto. I think Juan Soto is the guy. I think what the Padres do and when they do it probably holds up the mark. Cause if you're a free agent, Joe, if you're Jordan Montgomery, you have any interest whatsoever in San Diego, or you just want to use them as a pawn in this and drive your market price up. You'd like the Padres, a big spender in recent years to be part of that, to be part of your market and until they move Juan Soto, that's not going to happen. I think the, what the Padres do with Juan Soto is holding up at least some other things because the Padres are looked at as one of those bigger spenders at this point. The Padres, by the way, I do know, I can confirm, are one of the teams that contacted the agent for Yamamoto 
one of the 13 teams that have done that that I know of, and it may be 14. So very, very interesting. They want to get down to around $200 million. Trading Juan Soto is the way they do it, and I can't imagine they do anything large with a free agent or a big-ticket trade target without moving Juan Soto first, Joe. I'm still stuck on the fact that you're hearing that the Padres are going to spend money because I've, I've heard well, well that's the I've point, heard the though. opposite but every everyone has they alluded to the idea that they're they, cutting they it. can't unless they move Soto they can't unless they move Soto like they can't do anything and do what it sounds like they want to do with their payroll until they move Soto and it's like they want to get better but Soto's sitting there kind of holding them up that's that's the whole point of trying to and this isn't really that big of a discussion it's just it really sounds like the first you know significant domino in a lot of uh, the markets here, especially for the hitters on the market, including a, a guy like Cody Belger, unless he already knows exactly where he's going to go and they're already willing to give him what he wants, Juan Soto you know, seems to be playing a big part in this because think about where else yeah. Bellinger could land. Bellinger fits in New York. He fits in places like you know the Mets and the Yankees. And we've heard the Yankees' connection with Juan Soto quite a bit. But Bellinger also fits there. If the Padres end up trading Juan Soto somewhere else, then the Yankees, all of a sudden, Bellinger becomes their number one target. But it sounds like Soto's the guy they want to go grab. So I don't know. I just think, and you know, with Otani not pitching next year, and 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 that market being really tiny, being like three to eight teams, you know, um, I think the Juan Soto situation works itself out. And then I think over the next ten days we see a flurry of stuff. It'd be really interesting to see what happens yeah. after Juan Soto is uh, Juan Soto is moved. Uh, we've talked I, about the Padres too. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, we talked about the Padres and their very unique situation. Yeah, I think um, it, it's, the industry is almost underselling the fact that Juan Soto is going to get moved. Like Juan Soto is going to get moved. Uh, I mm -hmm. just, you know, some people calling it a 50-50. Like I would put Juan Soto being moved at about 80%. I just, I, I don't see a path forward for the Padres that makes sense with what they're trying to achieve without moving Juan Soto. Uh, in terms of, and I think you're right. I think there's probably only four or five teams that could actually realistically go get him. Um, on the Cody Bellinger thing, I actually don't think that the Cody Bellinger market is necessarily being held up by Juan Soto. It is to a to a certain degree. They play the same position, um, kind of. I, I think pretty much every team with Cody Bellinger, we talked about this a little bit with Blake Snell, I think every team is terrified at the idea of signing Cody Bellinger. And I think his representation is probably out there looking for 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. Yeah. Why? Like if, if, if Xander Bogarts, if Trey Turner, if some of these players can get 10, 11, 12 years, why can't my client? I think there's a lot of that going on and it's kind of the same thing. It's like, this guy has been as streaky as they come. You know, Bryce Harper, great example. Like Bryce Harper, when he was a free agent, had a couple of massive years. But he also had a couple of pretty average, like solid role time player type years. I think they're looking at the Bryce Harper deal going, why can't we get 10, 11, 12 years? And I think the market is probably looking at Cody Bellinger going, man, I sure would like to get that guy for seven or eight. You know, I sure would like to get that guy for something or for a little 18 bit more palatable. Per and not 20 or 18. Per. 18 yeah. per like you don't want to be locked into that deal when the lows have been so low um so i think most teams are just kind of hoping that nobody steps up to the plate and offers him 10 12 12 years and you know maybe he can be had for eight years 200 million dollars uh eight years you know 190 million dollars um but i think the guy not really flipping the script here but i think the guy that's holding up the market more than anybody is yamamoto personally I think he's holding up the market more than than uh, Shohei Otani. I think, like like you said, Otani has about three teams that know that know they're in the Shohei sweepstakes or will soon know. Yamamoto, like you mentioned, there's 10, 12, 14 teams in on that, and they're budgeting, you know, depending on the team, two hundred million dollars um, plus, and it's probably going to take a quarter billion to actually land Yamamoto. I think he's the guy that's holding up the. Seth Lugo, the Michael Waka, the Marcus Stroman, sure. like all of those guys play second fiddle. So, um, yeah, he, he's the linchpin in all this for me. Let me change gears here just a little bit. Um, you mentioned uh, Xander Bogarts uh, and Trey Turner, some of the larger deals. 
and and then and then you went to Harper, large deal, long double digit year deal. Uh, I do wonder, and I, I don't know if we know the answer to this. I'd certainly love to be a fly on the wall in the front offices here. You look at the Turner deal, the Correa deal, the Bogarts deal, and and even the Dansby Swanson deal. Um, Swanson was a five win player last year, Joe, in 2023, his first year in Chicago, but he wasn't that great offensively. You know, there was a lot of defensive value there. When you spend $175, $180 million on a player, I would expect to get pretty significant offensive production. And and the Cubs really did not Now he's capable of that, but he didn't really do that in, uh, in 2023, uh, Trey Turner obviously had a, had a very off year, um, from a, uh, uh, you know, do you look at the rest of his career? He had a 108 WRC plus a year ago, uh, four points higher than Dansby Swanson. Xander Bogarts had a 122, and Carlos Correa was below average at 96. Those are the four, you know, players that basically took, you know, a billion plus to sign. Um, I wonder if there's a, a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of shock here going on, a little bit of like these teams might be gun shy just in terms of spending big, period you know, let alone on this type of a player or a player that's been inconsistent because Trey Turner was like the model of consistent, you know, above average to plus play. And then he comes into his first year in Philly and, and while he was good, he wasn't that great. And now he's 30 years old. Yeah, no, no, I I'm, I'm with you. I think the sticker shock thing is, is, is very real. And I think that started two years ago, you know, when, when, when Colorado decided to give Chris Bryant 40 million more dollars in two more years than any other team, (laughs) than any other team, just to get him to Colorado, um, things like that. When, when, when the Texas Rangers offered, you know, Corey Seager, $300 million for a guy with a bad back. Um, I think it, it almost seems a little bit as though the industry has shifted just in general, it's no longer, well, to land the primo free agent, you've got to offer one extra year and five million more dollars. It's no, uh, you kind of got to eat three terrible, you know, age 37, 38, 39 seasons if you want the top, the top talent. Um, and so because of that, and it, and as long as teams continue to pay those prices, it's going to push the, it's going to push the bottom 15 teams in terms of payroll, totally out of the market, totally out of the, the market. To kind of wrap up the Bellinger thing really quick, Bellinger, if you're, if you're a fan of kind of a mid-market club that should have interest in a guy like Bellinger to some extent, like you need a hitter, maybe particularly a left-handed hitter, be nice to have a guy like Bellinger who can play multiple positions. He's very good at first base. He's very good in left and right. And you can actually play him in center. Some wouldn't play him there every day, but like he's a pretty versatile guy, really good athlete. Coming off a good year, not a great year, has great years in his past, but there's some risk there. If you're wanting the number to match what your mid-market or or low to mid-market team is willing to spend, but you know you still want to get, just sit around and hope and pray that the bigger market clubs like the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and and the Rangers and teams like that are smart about Cody Bellinger, because I'm yeah. with you, Joe. Yeah. Like. Like there's a limit to me, and I, and I think it's somewhere south of Dansby Swanson's deal. Uh, it's certainly somewhere south of Dansby Swanson's deal last year, um, and, and on Cody Bellinger. But I think he's going to get more. And, and if I'm one of those clubs, I'm I'm probably out. You know, somewhere somewhere south of that. Uh, again, unless I'm one of those teams that just spends uh, pretty much every single year and just cover up spending, you know, bad spending with more spending. This goes back to like the Yankees in the '90s and the early 2000s when they were just buying players and essentially buying. Um, an extended window of competition. So um, now we're, we're starting to see some answers to this though. This is starting to unravel a little bit. Uh, let's move on here. One more thing I wanted to get to today before we go is uh, there was a, a report um, and Casey, I can't remember who reported that. If you can find that while we're talking about that, that'd be great to have. There was a report that the Chicago Cubs are interested in acquiring Bo Bichette from the Toronto Blue Jays and they would play him at third base. Okay. So the third base thing, I mean, they have Dansby Swanson is short, who's one of the better defensive shortstops in the game. Totally get it. Let's start this from the Blue Jays standpoint, though, Joe. Uh, I, I get why the Cubs would want a player like Bo Bichette. He's a good player. I don't know that I understand why the Blue Jays would move him 
unless the hall was just ridiculous. Is there some sort of a scenario here? Like you can build in the t- at the top of your head where it makes sense for the blue Jays to not just trade Bo Bichette, but to trade him to the Chicago Cubs for two years, not two not, years of not, Bichette to the Chicago this Cubs. This is not a year of Bichette. How, right. How do you get Bichette from the blue Jays? If you the Cubs, I, I, I just goes back find to what do they have in the farm? What do they have at the big league level? Yeah. Right. So let me ask you, you're playing, you're playing Ross Atkins. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you're offered, I, I just don't see a universe where Pete Crow Armstrong is moved. I, they don't have a lot of other options in center field. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alcantara is coming, but uh, I think he makes a lot more sense in a corner. So sure. I'll throw you three names, three names for th- for two years of Bobachet. Kate Horton. Upside of okay. a number two. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got Tommy John in his past, but showed massive stuff. Yeah. Uh, Jackson Ferris, upside of a number three. Okay. Okay. He, he's a good arm, but a lot okay. of walk issues. Okay. And then the guy that the, the Cubs seem to be parading around all winter, Christopher Morrell, who can play a number of different positions, got a flair for the dramatic. Um, okay. It's a good little player. So yeah. that's a lot mm-hmm. to give up. It's, it's a lot. Is to that give even up? enough? Is that even enough? Yeah. If I'm Ross Adkins, why do I do that? Why, why do I, I do that? How does that? I signed a bunch of guys and, and I brought in a bunch of guys and, and extended Barrios and um, uh, we we signed Bassett last year and we have Vlad Guerrero and right now we have Bashed. We signed Springer a couple of years back. We still have him on the roster. Uh, I'm trying to get better because I'm trying to compete. I'm not trying to retool for like a run next year or the year after. I'm trying to add to what I have. And if I'm trading Bichette, if I'm Ross Atkins anyway, if I'm trading Bo Bichette, I want a a a I want three plus years of a good starter, or at least to match me yeah. with the two years of Bichette for a good starter. So find me a guy I can find a match right now. How about Dylan Cease for Bo Bichette? You might have to throw some pieces in, in either direction, but just from a player for player standpoint. Dylan Cease would make sense. Now, I don't know if Bo Bichette makes sense for the White Sox, considering where they are, but that seems more in line if I'm the Blue Jays. I don't really want any part in trading Bo Bichette for, for question marks or guys that don't really answer questions for me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what I'm going to yeah. get from those guys. You know, how am I better not, in that situation? You're not rebuilding. Uh, the, the Blue Jays right. have a window. They've, they've, you know, they've built this window. I don't know why they would they would try and fold it especially two years early we could talk next winter you know winter 2024 uh, where there's one year of vlad left there's one year of Bo left maybe they want to kind of shake things up a little bit it didn't work right now or maybe though, they're not yeah maybe they're not very good at the trade deadline this year and they shot bachette and they get the the offer they want something like that might make sure. sense as well but you know what would make more sense jason and i don't know if this market exists but you would be way better off selling Vlad and his likeness and his reputation, even coming yeah. off of a down year, you'd still get a lot for Vlad. Uh, yeah. You'd be better off shopping Vlad right now to a team that needs a first baseman in a weak first base market than you yeah. would trade trading Bo Bichette. It's tough. It is tough to find a, I'll call him a star, a star shortstop in this league, a controllable shortstop in this league. And I have a very, very difficult time seeing a universe where the Toronto Blue Jays sign Vlad to an extension and and move Bo for mar- more marginal pieces. I don't see it. Yeah. They have yeah. enough marginal pieces on that roster already. Bo Bichette was a five-win player in 2021 in 159 games. He was a four-and-a-half-win player in 2022 in 159 games. He missed a little time in 2023. Remember the injury he had? He played 135 games. It was almost worth four wins still. Uh, the numbers are very, very similar offensively. Uh, he's I, I would call him adequate defensively at shortstop. Would you agree that, that adequate still seems to fit Bo Bichette? Like he's not going to f- – average. It's not going to rob average. a bunch of runs, but he's not going to give a bunch away. Uh, he's more of a he's more of a hitter. If you can, if you if you have room for him at second, maybe that makes sense. And you know, I certainly get the uh, the third base thing uh, as well. And I think that's the other side of this too. If you're the Cubs, and it was uh, thank you, uh, Casey. It was uh, it was John Paul Morosi uh, reporting that the the Cubs had interest in uh, in Bobuchet and playing him at third base. The third base part here, Joe, really kills me too because if I'm on the Cubs end of this, and 
and and and I have to give up even if we just stay on the prospect part of this. And I have to give up like three really good young players like that that we think are going to be able to help us in the next year or two. Um, I'm doing that for two years of a third baseman. Like, I don't think so. I think there's so many other things I can, let let me just go sign Matt Chapman to a four-year deal instead. Like, I don't really understand paying a pretty penny for, because you're going to pay Bo Bichette shortstop prices, right? You're, you're, you're paying for four plus wins a year from a shortstop, not from a third baseman, from a shortstop, significant difference when you look at it on the, on the free agent market. Uh, I don't really get that at all. I don't really see uh, a scenario where that works. There are some scenarios out there where Bo Bichette makes sense, whether it be second base, shortstop, uh, and maybe even third base. Um, but I just don't see the Cubs uh, being one of those. The Flat Guerrero thing. We did we not talk about that a little like like late yeah. in the season or early in the offseason, guys? That trading Vlad Guerrero at some point fairly soon might actually make some sense. I wonder if uh, if they've had. Uh, some internal conversations there. Shoot, trade them to Philly, man. Uh, like if there's a team that I, mm-hmm. I don't know why Philly is so uh they're so quick to to move Bryce Harper to first base. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper's not an old man. He can still play mm-hmm. a serviceable uh yeah. right field. If yeah. if there's a team that's looking for an infusion in talent, man, go trade Vlad to Philly. I think Philly's sure. got a couple of people. Like, would you trade? Uh, would you trade Vlad for Justin Crawford? I, I think that's a real conversation that Toronto could have. And you know why? Toronto loves them a bloodline. They love them a bloodline. <laughs> this is true. They'd be trading one for another in that particular one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I don't think I would do that. We're talking about again. We're talking about two years of Vlad Guerrero. I don't think I would do that because I'm trying to win right now. I, I, I just keep going back. I'm trying to win right now. So you this offseason, anyway. Reese Hoskins then, might be a better player than Vlad. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see that moving forward. I don't see that moving forward. And I would still be willing to bet on some of Vlad's upside. Like he's twenty four years sure. old, and well, and I'm not yeah. saying he's going to get back to where he was in 2021, where he was like a six win player and it was all bat. I mean, that was one of the better offensive seasons we've seen in the last fifteen years. Uh, but I still think he get back to kind of where he was in 2022, at least when he was a three win player uh, over there at first base. And again all bat. I thought you were mentioning Bo yeah. Bichette for Philly and I'm thinking okay, Bo Bichette at third base in Philly and, and maybe Baum could be part of the return to Toronto, play a little third base in Toronto, move around a little bit, be a part of it. You'd have to add other talents in there but again, it's really difficult for a contender to trade prospects to another contender for a player that's going to help that team right now. It just doesn't happen a whole lot and I just don't see yeah. it happening in this particular situation. Yeah, Unless you get a third team involved. It's always... It's always fun. The team has Very, to be turned down. Like they've got to be kind of, you know, the the tunnel, the light is is closing a little bit. They see that. Uh, you, actually, a, a great example would be like Seattle at the end of 2018. Like they won what 89 games, just missed the playoffs. They were old, they were aging, and they stripped it down to the nuts and bolts and, and decided to rebuild. Like I, I don't see Toronto being in that situation right now, despite some similarities. Right. Yeah, it's just it's just not it. Yeah, they've still yeah, they're not there yet. There's too much talent. To win. They're not there yet. Too much yeah. talent. They, they need to add at least for another year. They need to add to what they have. And and I I would keep both of those. I would keep Bichette and I would keep Guerrero at least until the um to, at least until the trade deadline and probably through the uh, the 2024 season and then see what I got to do. The the one thing that uh, I don't think it really applies in this this case, but when it's when it's clear and apparent that either the player isn't signing long-term in a certain place or that the team doesn't have interest in signing the player to what it's going to take to keep the player waiting until the final year until there's one year left is a mistake. Cleveland made that mistake with Francisco Lindor. I don't think Toronto and uh, with Vlad and with Bichette and Lindor and Cleveland are the same situations. I think Toronto would spend what it takes to keep one or both of those guys. And I think it's, it's, plausible that we see something like that over the next year or so. Uh, it, it seems to me though, Joe, and we'll, we'll get out of here in a sec. It seems to me though, that if I'm Atkins in Toronto, I'm waiting for, for it to become apparent. Bo Bichette's not a long-term shortstop before I sign him to anything. <laughs> That's just kind of my conniving, you know, vibe board is like, I'm not paying Bo Bichette the shortstop, but I'll certainly pay Bo Bichette the third baseman. Uh, you know, for six or seven years. I mean, what's Bo Bichette, you know, in his late twenties. Yeah. Vlad Guerrero is a different story. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, gentlemen, uh, have a good, uh, 
holiday weekend. Um, my parting shot is that Thanksgiving sucks. Um, no, but I hope everybody uh, has a good weekend. Hopefully there's some baseball news. I know there's usually Thanksgiving is usually a football thing. You know, you get all the games on Thursday, the NFL. There's even an NFL game on Friday, I think, this week. But there's also college games, and it's a big day, Mr. Joe Doyle, on Saturday. Oh, no. In the college football world. In the oh. college fo- hey, 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 hey. No, this is, no, no, this is not me bringing up sore subject. The Apple Cup is a big deal in Joe Doyle's world. And it's a big deal in my world because it's Washington State and Washington. And in rivalry games, man, you just never know. You just know. We've True. seen massive upsets in both directions. Teams going there too cocky, too confident. I feel pretty confident Washington's going to win that. But uh, it's got me nervous. i got to be honest with you. Uh, I'm exhausted. I-, I sleep really good one night a week, and it's uh, Saturday night because watching UW games – is so tiring, dude. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I will actually be glad the season is over. Casey, the Civil War, man. Casey's a Casey's a duck. Oregon State, Oregon. I got to get your take really quick before we go. Uh, and then, Joe, I want a prediction from you. Give me a score prediction on the Apple Cup. But Casey, uh, how do you feel? Civil War, Oregon wins that game. They're in the uh, uh, Pac-12 title game with one loss in a rematch with uh, with Washington. Winner probably goes to the college football playoff. How are you feeling about Saturday? Yeah, you know, before on this podcast, I've been pretty uh, light on Oregon, actually. But I think this weekend, I've got Oregon by like 20, at least. They're in they're in Eugene. Uh, they're running the ball extremely well. Bo Nix is throwing it all over the place. Yeah, that game's actually on Friday, not Saturday. And that was my mistake there. So you're feeling yeah, really good about the I would, I, I, would be, I would be too. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And, and Jonathan Smith, not that he – isn't a great coach, but he might have half a foot out the door. One foot out the door. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see where you're going there. I see where you're going there. The, the one thing about Oregon State that holds me back is the quarterback's not good. I think to beat Oregon, you have to have a really good I think that's your only shot. You have to have a really good quarterback. Your quarterback has to be really good. And I don't think they uh I don't think they have that yet. Uh give me a score case. Civil War. Oh, on the spot. We'll go 42 uh 21. Okay. 42 21. That's 5 30 Pacific time. I think that game's on Fox. Uh, so that'd be fun on Friday. Joe, give me an Apple Cup score. I think it's going to be interesting for at least a little while. And then Cameron Ward can do some things. I know this is a baseball show, but give me a give me a, a prediction for the Apple Cup. Well, I'll never ever publicly <laughs> take the dogs over the kooks. <laughs> Privately, I might have a different idea for how this game is going to go, but it's going to be 30 it's going to be 37 to 34 cougs wow. and i predict this is going to be the rapture for my twitter account i will lose hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of followers uh, and you on should Friday not night. care one single bit if your team upsets the unbeaten number 4 ranked team in the country in, in the rivalry game to end the season, which is probably the final Pac-12 game for your school, for both schools, uh, you should not care one bit about losing hundreds of followers on Twitter for bragging <laughs> about that and you and that. Uh, good stuff. Uh, we'll get back to baseball uh, next week. Gentlemen, uh, have a good holiday. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, ladies and gents out there in the baseball world, uh, the hot stove is, uh, well, it's hot. It's hot. Don't touch Warm. it. Yeah, yeah, it's getting there. It's been fun. All right, we'll talk next week. This has been the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode. Falling back on that ass. What a hell of a gangster lane.